In a world of what are yous, welcome to the place where the answer is always human. My name is Natalie and you're listening to Some Kind of Brown, a podcast about mixed and multiracial life, current events, and ways to build the best life by a southern girl who's trying to figure it out for herself. What's up? I'm Danny. And I'm Brandy. We're sisters. And we're dead inside. It's like, where do we find purpose? I heard that all you have to do is look at art. Art can make you feel feelings? Yeah, like um, Michelangelo once got super pissed off and threw a bunch of roof rafters at the Pope. Right, I think my heart is beating again. Oh my I'm confused. Oh, did you hear that Marie Antoinette maybe had a secret lesbian love affair with her portrait painter? Whoa, whoa, I'm feeling like super something like blood pumping. Um, There's this thing where Caravaggio killed a man by stabbing him in the taint. Like what? With a sword? Like what? I think I feel alive. Maybe we should just drop everything and see if this actually works. That sounds like a great idea for a podcast. That sounds like our podcast. Yeah, that's our podcast. Download and subscribe to Art History. That's like art history, but with an S. Wherever you get your podcasts. Get it? Because we're sisters. We're sisters. Art history, art sisters. Hello, beautiful, colorful people. We are back with part three of When They See Us. I'm going to go ahead and tell you from the get-go that the first part for me was a heartbreaking shock. The second part was tragic and a disappointment because of just how clear it was that all innocence these boys had was gone. And the third part gave me anger. I don't get mad very often, and I will keep it in check, but we are going to be talking about prison and a little bit about how we treat convicted felons in this because it is impossible to talk about this episode without that. Also, I want to say that this entire episode, we go without seeing Corey. It seems like everyone except for the boys, now men, as we skip forward through time, and Corey's mother are the only ones that remember Corey even exists. We find out in about mid-episode that no one has heard from Corey since he got transferred out of Riker. And because all the men are out on conditional release, or CR, they can't be in contact with other felons, so no one can actually go look for Corey or try to reach out to him. I might touch back on that as we go through, because there are some points that deal with Corey and his mother that I think are very important to keep in mind and are very hard things for Corey and I'm sure for his family. Since the show kept going back and forth between each of the men, I think I'm going to talk about all of them individually. Their circumstances are very different, and their families are very different. And the paths they chose, unfortunately, for one of them, possibly two, if, as I suspect, Corey is going through some bad things, go down roads that aren't great. So, first of all, I want to talk about Ray. I want to start with Ray because the way they set up this episode, they show the boys when they'd been in prison for maybe like a couple years, and then they age forward to when the four boys got out of prison. I did not know this, but Ray, Antron, Kevin, and Yusuf, they all got out of prison before Corey did. And I'm sure we're going to find out why and how much longer Corey is going to be in prison next episode. 
I'm really nervous about part four. I really expected... No, I can't tell you. That would be too much spoiler because there's only one more bit of information I have about this case that hasn't been touched on in this series. So we're all just going to have to see what happens in episode four together. So we're going to start with Ray because the show starts with Ray and his family is celebrating his abuelita or his grandmother's birthday. Everybody looks like they're having fun, there's food, there's music, and his abuelita is just sitting there, just deadpanned. When they got to the cake and they sing her happy birthday, she said something that really got me and I absolutely love her. They don't show her in this part, and unless I missed it, she might have passed between the time when he was in prison and the fast forward. I really hope not because she is an amazing character, but anyway... She says that no one cares about Ray. She wants everyone to work on trying to get him out to band together. And we find out that even between Ray and his brother, there's some fighting about what should be done. Or even if Ray is guilty of the charges he was convicted of. I think that what Ray goes through is probably one of the harder situations. And I really, really feel for Ray. In any case, he comes home and his dad's new wife is, I'm not going to call her a name and I'm not going to describe her because I am from the South. And one thing that stuck with me is if you don't have anything nice to say, keep your mouth shut. I don't always follow that rule, but I will with this person because again, we're talking about people's real lives. And I can only judge so much. I was not in the situation she was put in. But what I will say is that she did not treat Ray like a human being. She treated him like absolute garbage. She calls him a rapist multiple times. She resists any of Ray's seniors trying to accommodate his son into their house. The good thing that happens in his life is that he meets up with the girl we saw him with in the beginning. Her name is Tanya, and I was so excited watching them that he had this good thing. And more so than any of the other men, they really took the time to show the struggle that Ray went through just to find a job, to find a place to live as not only a convicted felon, but a level 3 sexual offender. The men have to check in every 90 days for the rest of their lives. And you can kind of see with Ray's reaction that he's realizing that he's out of prison, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's free. And again, more so than the other men, this point is really stressed with Ray. So when he starts this very cute relationship with Tanya, when they start making things work, I saw that maybe Ray would be able to make something work, to find something, give him the motivation to do his absolute best to find a job and get this apartment with her. But let me tell you something. When you are a convicted felon, it is 1000% harder to do anything. You can be denied housing. You can be denied jobs. If you're on conditional release, you can't work at the same shift with another convicted felon. It's even worse when you're a convicted sex offender. I'm going to be honest for the sake of the story, even though we all know they're innocent, not everyone knew that was the case and they were convicted of a very serious sex crime. 
In this case, I understand the level of concern. How can we as a country, and I'm talking about the U.S. because this is happening in the U.S. and our system is incredibly flawed. For those of you who are foreign, just it, it's got a lot of problems. We cannot say that we have a system that is built towards rehabilitation when we give them absolutely zero chances to make a better life for themselves outside. So, obviously I feel for these men. The situations that they were in is not fair. Just like we heard in the last part, this case was not about fairness. I don't want this entire episode to focus on the absolute failures of our prison system and how rigged the game is, essentially. And it's not a game, but we play games with people's lives. Like in this episode, you see with Ray, we give them a little taste of freedom. You can be outside, sure. How are you going to support yourself? Where are you going to live? At the risk of going on and on and on and on about this for hours, which I will, I'm just going to recommend another documentary. I was not surprised to see who directed this documentary, to be honest. It makes a lot of sense, but I didn't know that she was involved. Ava DuVernay, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, not only directed When They See Us, she is the director of 13th. It talks about the history of racial inequality in the U.S. and the disproportionate number of African Americans in prison. If you're in the U.S. and you haven't really thought very much about the prison system, or if you're from outside of the U.S. and you're curious about what our prison system looks like and why it gets me so fired up, please watch this documentary. It's another hard watch, but it's a necessary watch. If you've seen that documentary already, or you're familiar with the failures of the American prison system, the fact that they really want people to go back to prison because it's profitable, you won't be too surprised by what happens to Ray. I wasn't surprised, but let me tell you, I felt so, so incredibly bad for him. When the love of his life, when Tanya, the woman who was with him as a kid, this woman who he obviously held some kind of hope for reuniting with, came to him with his idea of the apartment and living together, and he got a glimpse of a future that he could have, and the only thing standing in between him and that future was money and people not hiring him. I can't blame him for turning to drugs. What else could he do? Yes, he could have found other things to do, but you can only push a man so far. You can only push anyone, no matter their gender, so far. And he had been told one too many times that he was garbage, that he was an awful person. They made no secret of it, and all of the men say it at one point or another, with the exception of Corey, who we didn't see in this episode, that everyone hates them. When you're faced with that, what else can you do? What choice did he have? He felt like he was still one foot in prison and one foot out. He didn't know how to function in the world. And so that is where we are with Ray, and we'll see what happens with him in the next episode. The next person I want to talk about is Antron. I want to talk about this one because I want to... This will probably sound awful. Get it out of the way. His part of the story was very hard for me to watch for a very personal reason. As we know from the last part, Antron's dad, Bobby, essentially left him and his mother. 
and we find out that he stayed gone for a significant amount of time. But Bobby came back two years before Antron's release, and he was sick. Obviously because of this abandonment that he felt, and the abandonment was real, I can only blame Antron so much for rejecting his father when he sees him. I, for personal reasons, do not have contact with my dad, and so it was very hard for me to see him reject his obviously sick father. There are some things that were common in all four of the men's lives that were freed. They had to try to adjust, they had to conform to these rules, they had curfews and check-ins and all these things they had to keep up with. At the same time, trying to find employment and if their family wouldn't let them stay, finding a place to stay. And in Antron's case, he was lucky as far as finding a place to stay because he came back to his mom. His mother, Linda, I cannot say enough about. I absolutely adore this woman. She stayed with him through absolutely everything. And I can't judge her for taking Antron's father back when he was sick. He made a mistake. He knew he made a mistake. She found it in her heart to forgive Bobby. And I'm glad she did. I have to have hope that people really do change in this life. And in his case, it looked like he did. Seeing Antron's dad shaking and wheezing and making lunch for both him and his son and trying to build back that connection that he broke is so heart-wrenching. I can't tell anyone to forgive and make nice because I'd straight up be a hypocrite. Seeing my dad like that is one of my biggest fears and this segment focusing on Antron really hurts. But we move on and we see Antron has a job at a movie theater and he starts flirting with this girl from Shreveport, Louisiana. And when I say flirting, I mean she came on strong. I mean, snaps for her. I really liked her at first. And then I literally wanted to breathe fire out of my mouth. I was incredibly angry with her. I just saw the rage. They're walking down the street on a date, eating I don't know what out of what looked like a taco. I don't I don't know what they're eating. They're on a date. And it was clear that Antron had told her about prison and all the things that happened, or or at least parts of it, because she starts nagging about wanting to go on these big dates and why doesn't he spend money? He's saving up for frickin' school and she's complaining and when he says he doesn't want to spend money on things that are important, meaning things that are frivolous, this woman, this woman throws everything in his face. I don't even know how to express the level of rage that I felt that this woman who knew the circumstances that dated him would then turn around and say, I know what you do to women. I know you're a rapist. Okay, you knew he was a rapist? Why are you dating him? Hmm? Excuse me? Did I, did I miss something? I don't know what I missed, but I'm glad she's gone. So, goodbye, Adele. I hope you do not make an appearance again in episode four. Thank you. Have a nice day. And then we come to another moment where my emotions were not ready. There's like a countdown somewhere till the moment I break and I just cry. The moment in this part was the last scene we see between Bobby and Antron. I think Bobby's trying to stand up or sit down, I don't know, but Antron catches him. There are no words exchanged, but Antron cries and they hold each other 
And Bobby nods at him, and then he walks away. Later, they fast forward, and we find out that Antron moved and changed his name after his dad died. They totally skipped over that, and at first, I was really upset that they skipped forward because, to me, I wanted to see that they made up, that they spent Bobby's last days at peace with each other, that they were able to move past these things, but this is real. Antron is real, Bobby was real, and I'm not watching the show for trauma porn. If those moments in those last days were so precious to Antron that they were kept out for respect or whatever reason, then he should be allowed to have that. But a part of my heart broke for him and their family. We see again near the end of Antron writing his new last name, just trying to become a new person as best he can after his conditional release was over. I think I'm going to talk about Yusuf next. Only because I want to end on a happy note with Kevin. And in order to talk about Yusuf, I have to talk about his mother. His mother, Sharon, has been struggling to get a job. I understand completely and do not think that she should have attempted to facilitate communication between Corey and Yusuf because that was illegal. But you would think that... The mothers and father, if you include Ray's father because he was very active, would all band together in solidarity and want to support each other. But this just is not the case. Just like in the last part with the trial, Yusuf's mom has no eyes for anyone other than Yusuf. And I don't know if she has any room in her heart for the other boys either. I had a really, really hard time in my feelings towards her in this part. Even when Yusuf asks about Corey, Corey whose name wasn't on the list, Corey who the police weren't looking for, Corey the friend who came with Yusuf to lend support for his friend, Corey the oldest who ended up in the absolute worst prison situation, she tells Yusuf to worry about himself. Don't worry about Corey. You have a big heart, but worry about you. If you've seen the Disney movie, is it Disney? Probably Disney. If you've seen the Disney Hercules movie where Hades has flames as hair, that is me on and off throughout the watching of this entire show. My hair is on fire, I calm down. My hair is on fire, I calm down. My hair is on fire, I calm down. And most of the time when my hair is on fire, Yusuf's mom is involved. Not even gonna lie. Yusuf's mom, Ray's wife Elena... Those two I had so much trouble with. Oh yeah, and Antron's girlfriend, Adele. So the one thing I can say about Yusuf's mom is that she was there for him. She grounded him. She made sure he stayed with a group of people that would uplift him and help direct him through his prison life. I'm not religious, but I'm not going to knock anyone who finds comfort in it. And it seems that... Islam really helped Yusuf retain his sense of self when he came out of prison. He's very intelligent, and you can see that in one of my favorite scenes, when Kevin and Yusuf get kicked out of their group that they're supposed to report to every once in a while because they are registered sex offenders. The woman, who obviously has great distaste for them, which I can't blame because she doesn't know the truth, she asks them, well, she tells them that it is not optional in her class to refrain from admitting your crime. Yusuf says that they don't have to and they don't want to discuss their case. They've never lied. 
They were innocent of what they were convicted for. They didn't lie when they were young and they won't lie as men. That was one of my favorite scenes in this part. I liked Yusuf a lot. I was a little worried that he wasn't going to ask about Corey and forget about his friend, but he didn't, and he even says that he was worried about Corey. I almost cheered when he said it, and when he gets home, knowing his best friend is still somewhere in prison, he keeps apart from everyone else for a while. With Yusuf, we get another thing that I really like about this miniseries. Barbershop and hair salon culture in black communities is such a important thing. I had a lot of things that shaped my way of looking at the world, shaped my way of looking at myself. Glimpses of being black, going to the hair salon and getting my hair relaxed for the first X amount of years of my life. And Yusuf, who used to have that high top, goes back to the barbershop and they're all joking and talking about how his hair used to be because he was known for that. I I love that little glimpse of the barbershop culture because that definitely still exists today. It's something I think that is very special and a lot of people who are black really identify with. I can't tell you how many times I've bonded with people over the smell of that black gel that they used to put in your hair before they put all those barrettes in. Anyway, I'm getting off topic, but I I just loved that scene. But what happens in that barbershop is something that happens to each one of the men when they get out. They all seem to have had an idea of where they wanted their lives to go when they got out of prison and didn't realize how almost impossible it was to make it on the outside. One way or another, they find out that their convictions will mess up their entire lives. Again, soapbox. I'll hop off of it. Or I'll stay on it because really I'm too short to be off the soapbox, so we can stay on the soapbox for this part. In any case, there's not really anything about Yusuf that is too negative. I kind of started with some of the harder stories at the beginning, and they kind of get better towards the end. Yusuf and Kevin have a little bit more positive experiences outside of prison. I'm not saying their lives were perfect, I'm just saying that they had a strong support system that kept them afloat. So now we'll talk about baby Kevin. I can't help it. Maybe it's because he's the youngest. I don't know what it is, but Kevin is a precious baby angel child and I just want to take care of him. I mean, he was so young when it, it started. It was just, I can't imagine going through all this at that age. And you can't talk about Kevin without mentioning his sister, Angie. I adore Angie. We find out one of the first times when what looks like their entire family goes to meet Kevin, that Yusuf hasn't really been keeping up with him, but he's been focusing really on the Muslim guys and being a part of that group. Without missing a beat, Angie says that Kevin needs to find that thing to look forward to that will keep him going. And she explains to him that she wants to tell him what's happening in her life, so that he has something to look forward to. Because for the first few years of his incarceration, she kept herself from experiencing life because she felt guilty and responsible for being a part of why Kevin was in there. 
And I know now that she understands it's not her fault, but my god, if I was in the same position, I think I would be absolutely heartbroken and feel the same way she did. But she didn't know. She was just a kid too. She didn't know what to say to the police station. She signed whatever they gave her because they said that she could take him home. This is going back to the first part. But she says that she rejected the good things in her life because she thought she didn't deserve them. And then her mom set her straight. And when Kevin finds out she said no to a date, it's so precious. He is so pure. Oh my goodness. Even through all the things he's going through in prison, when he finds out his sister turned down a date, he's like, why? Why did you turn it down? You should have said yes. And it turns out that eventually they did go on a few dates. And he was so happy for her. But she told him this for a purpose, to make sure that he knows that life is possible, thriving is possible, and that he just needs to find whatever it is for him that will give him hope to get out. There are a few shots of Kevin here and there in his story, but for the most part, I think Kevin was okay. He obviously, again, struggled like all the other men did in finding employment and things like that and adjusting to the fact that everyone still thinks that they're guilty, but his experience, at least from the depiction of this miniseries, supported. Yes, his experience is a lot more supported than some of the other men. So we have four out of five of the boys out of prison. At least one of them that we know of that has finished his conditional release, that being Antron. Kevin and Yusuf meet up at that group, and they talk, so those two we know are together, and they're kind of thriving and doing the best that they can. Again, they seem to be like the most positive and have the most supportive family systems so far. And then we have Ray, who was out, who tried very hard, who faced rejection, and what blatantly looked like and probably felt like replacement with his younger stepbrother. All he wanted was to build a good life for himself, get himself started with Tanya, but we see him being rearrested and get one more phone call between Ray and his dad. I think that although the circumstances are obviously not ideal and not what we would have wanted for Ray, but just like throughout the entire time he's incarcerated, his dad is answering his phone calls. I wish that he had done more to make sure Ray felt like he was welcome. But he was stuck between his wife and his son. And my knee-jerk reaction is to say the choice between your wife and your son is an easy one. But that's not fair for me to say. I just hope that the rest of Ray's story is not as negative. I feel very, 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 very sorry for him. And I wish that it had been different. So now all we need to do is find out about Corey. We get little hints here and there, and I am afraid that when we get to Corey, his story is not going to be nearly as nice as any of the other four men. Even though Ray's experience and Antron's experiences were pretty difficult. Before we end this episode, I want to talk about the music. This soundtrack is absolutely amazing and expertly used. I cannot get over how perfect this music is. They use the music perfectly to frame each of the scenes, and they are very careful to carry the emotion already happening in the scene without just evoking the emotion through the music. 
And that is a very difficult thing to pull off in any type of film. In fact, I'm probably going to look up the soundtrack after we finish this series because I love some of the songs. But when you're watching part four, or if you're going to watch this series again, no matter what you're going to do, if you end up watching this mini-series, I highly encourage you to pay attention to the music. I cannot sing its praises enough. This third part was hard in a very different way to watch, especially knowing that these men really went through these things. Having freedom dangled in front of your face, but then trying to do your best to make things work and finding roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And just like Antron said, I feel like everyone hates me, Ma. Although they do show the parents' responses to each of the men or boys saying that everyone hates them, it was a reoccurring thing in this episode. Linda's response, Antron's mom, was my absolute favorite. She said, I know it feels like that. I know it feels like that. But I love you enough to make up for everybody. All I do all day is love you. Don't ever think you're alone. I'm walking through this with you. You cry, I cry. You mad, I'm mad. You scared? I'm scared. You free, I'm free. You and me, always. And I feel like that is just the epitome of what it is to love someone, to be a mother, to be in any relationship with someone. That is what you want, and it's just so beautiful. It tugged at my heartstrings. It's one of the several things I'll be taking away from this mini-series. With all that said, I'm going to end this episode here. We have a new review that I'd like to give a shout out for from Bucket Lump, because why not? Bucket Lump says, much needed representation. There's a world of conversation emerging about what it means to be mixed. This podcast feels relevant and timely. More than that, it's entertaining. I recommend for sure. Thank you so much for your amazing review. I hope I am entertaining you even when I'm talking about really important things and I get really fired up about these topics and there's just so much going on. I do try to remain upbeat and be as positive as I can when I talk about these things, but sometimes requires a little bit more solemnity. I also have a couple of new patrons to thank. And because I don't remember who I thanked, we're just gonna thank everybody because they're all amazing and I seriously cannot be more grateful that you have joined our colorful little family. I want to thank Kate from IWB Podcast, Sunny Hepburn from Book of Lies Podcast, Seamless, and KT and OT from For Your Reference Podcast. You guys are amazing. You make me cry. You make me happy. I just recorded this weekend with KT and OT, so you're actually going to have a collaboration with them in it coming out this weekend, so look forward to that. They are hilarious, and I loved talking to them. If you have not listened to our first segment of Beyond the News that came out last Friday, if you have listened, please shoot me an email, DM, tweet, let me know what you think. They are going to be available one month early for patrons and then later for the rest of you wonderful people. And we also have something really special. And if you made it this far, you get to hear about a giveaway that we're doing. 
I started the Some Kind of Brown weekly newsletter at the advice of a friend and blogger on Instagram. Her name is Tiffany Toyota, if you want to go look her up. And I started it for a couple of reasons. One, it's really hard to find my show notes. And two, when I have guests, I want to make sure that everybody can get to their social media and be able to follow them if they want. The newsletters will come out on Wednesdays when the episode launches. It will have the show notes in it, any pertinent links, and that's really going to be it. It's not going to be big and long. It's not going to be fussy. It's just going to be very simple so that you can see all the information that is in my show notes and about the giveaway. If you sign up for this newsletter, I'm going to be giving away some stickers. I'm going to determine the winner by a random sort. You have until the end of the month to sign up for the newsletter. So I'll be drawing for the winner on September 1st. Sign up for the newsletter between now and September 1st and you will be automatically put into our first little giveaway. As usual, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at some kind of brown. Thank you to Purple Planet for the use of their song Love Life, and I will see you Friday with some more Shades of Brown.